0: Today we're going to look at the very first Christmas. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Reach inside your bulletin, pull out your sermon notes so you can follow along today in our Bible outline. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible today, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. If you want a Bible, just wave at them every Sunday. We open it, read it. We've given away more than 600 Bibles since our church has started, just like this. So... If you don't have a Bible, put your name in this one. It's yours. Um, Go home, start reading it. Read the book of Luke this week. Uh, That's where we'll start today. If you do have a Bible and are just borrowing this one, use it. Lay it on the table when you leave and we'll give it to somebody else uh, next week. Uh, We started five weeks ago into a Bible teaching series that we called The Real Christmas uh, and we have, in the last two years, this is our third Christmas as a church, we've, uh, we've tried to be creative, we've tried to be fun, we've tried to be trendy, and we said, this year, let's just read the Bible. This year, let's just say about Christmas what God said about Christmas. So we've been studying in the book of Matthew, and we've been studying in the book of Luke. What God has told us about Christmas. And we've called this series The Real Christmas, just the story of Jesus' birth. And today we look at the very first Christmas, the first Christmas day that ever happened. When we look at the first Christmas day that ever happened, I was talking with my kids this morning. My son is 12, my little girl is 10. I said, You know, you're really fortunate we don't do things today like they did the first christmas because jesus was not born on christmas morning according to luke chapter 2 jesus was actually born at night so if we celebrated christmas like jesus celebrated christmas we would have to wait till it was dark to open presents and beyond that jesus only got three presents uh, his first christmas no more than that and they came two years after he was born so if we want to do christmas jesus style this year we'll wait till it's dark And then we'll celebrate it, and then two years from now, we'll get you guys three gifts. And they're like, no, 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 we like the way that we do it. Uh, And I like the way we do Christmas, but I love studying about the first Christmas. And in Luke chapter 2, it sounds like this. I'll start in verse 4. Last week, we studied verses 4 through 7, and then we'll go all the way through verse 20. It says, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared. With the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things. And pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and and seen which were just as they had been told. The reason I love the Christmas story in the book of Luke is because who Luke is. We have said several times during the series that four men that lived at the same time as Jesus wrote books about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew was a disciple of Jesus. He spent every day for three years with Jesus. Um, John was a disciple of Jesus. He spent every day for three years with Jesus. Mark, we know, was with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane the night that he was arrested before he was crucified. And we know Mark traveled with the Apostle Peter, so he probably heard about Jesus from first-hand knowledge from the Apostle Peter. But Luke was not a disciple. Luke was not Jewish probably luke never even met jesus personally but he was a physician he was highly educated and he was a historian which means when we read the book of luke somebody is telling him these things from firsthand experience it's very likely as we study what scholars have written on luke chapter two that a shepherd who was there the night jesus was born told luke what happened in luke chapter two it's more than likely that mary and Luke sat down, and Luke asked her about this night, which is how he knows not only what she was doing, but how she was feeling. She was, just, she was just kind of welled up with pride, holding these things in her heart from what is going on. And you look at Luke chapter 2, and you can picture this event, and you can imagine with the excitement that both the shepherds and Mary would have shown uh, and told this story. But here's what I've been doing this Christmas, because these are pretty familiar stories. As a matter of fact, if you've grown up in church, maybe you have played one of these characters uh, in a Christmas play. I mean, what little kid hasn't um, you know, thrown a, a cloth on his head and put a strap around it and walked with a stick uh, up to the front and knelt before some uh, baby doll laying in a manger? I mean, this, this is like Christmas 101. But when I started doing this series, I said, God, I want you to show me things this year that I've never seen before. I I want you to really challenge my heart, not with the Christmas story, but the spiritual truth that lies within the Christmas story. God, challenge me and help me show our people Christmas from maybe a different perspective. And as I look at the first Christmas, here's what I feel like God has shown me this week. And of all the messages that I've given, this is... The most far off thought that i've ever had meaning i've never really heard this preached i've never studied much on it But I really felt like this is what god is showing me in luke chapter 2 The first christmas what we need to learn is this number one make sure you don't miss the sign Because of the show Make sure you don't miss the sign Because of the show you say christian what in the world are you talking about if you have no concept of what i'm referring to you have already missed the sign because of The show, look at Luke chapter two, starting in verse 12, because the angel said Jesus has been born and here's how we're going to prove it to you. This verse 12, this will be a sign. Circle the word sign. We're going to talk more about signs here in, in a little bit in scripture. This will be a sign to you. This will prove to you what we're saying. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Just real quickly, what was the sign going to be? Starts with a B, ends with a Y. And there's an ab in the middle. Yeah, a baby. The sign was going to be... Some of you are thinking, Babby. baby. So the sign was going to be a baby. This will be the sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a major. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts... Circle the word host. Host is a mathematical term. Host is a number that has been best translated by scholars 10,000 times 10,000. Host is a word that... In the English language, if we were using this mathematical term, we would say like infinity. Um, Host is a number that means millions upon millions upon millions. We're we're told this will be the sign a baby. Suddenly a great company of millions and millions of angels appeared, praising God, saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and underline these next three words. See this thing. Let's go to Beth- Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. You know, I'm afraid in, in in the Christian church today, and maybe in the generation that you and I have been raised in, the last quarter century to 50 plus years that the church is focused as much or more on the show of church than the sign of Jesus. And I wonder how many people at Christmas time read through this entire narrative and sing songs about the angels and think about what it would have been like to be a shepherd but never really stop to see God's sign, never really stop to see Jesus. Because we get so caught up in all the things around Jesus. And the angels came to the shepherds and they said, here's going to be the sign. It's going to be the baby. And then here's what happened right after they told the shepherds what the sign would be. The greatest show in the history of planet Earth happened in the sky. Some of you have seen meteor showers. Uh, I've had the opportunity to see the northern lights one time in my life where the sky turns pink and green. And, I mean, it is wild to see those. I mean, I've seen an eclipse. I've seen some pretty spectacular things in the sky. Can you imagine sitting outside at night and being sung to by millions upon millions of angels? Would that not flip you out? I mean, would that not be the highlight, not only of that day, but of that month and maybe your lifetime? And the angels come and they say, here's here's the sign. There's going to be a little baby. And then, boom, the show starts. And instead of being mesmerized by the show, the show ends and the shepherds are like, man, we're glad that's done. Now let's go find the baby. It's like they were focused on what was important when sometimes we get off focus on the show. You know, as it was snowing last night, and it was raining, and then it was sleeting, and then it was icing, and then it was snowing. Uh, I told Danielle, reflecting on what was going to happen today, I said, you know, people who have invested time and money in something that they really care a lot about and they're invested in are going to show up tomorrow. And that's why Arrowhead Stadium will be full. I wasn't talking about church. Because we like the show, right? And it's like, if I bought season tickets... And if I've paid $742 for that parking pass, um, and if I've saved up my money to buy, pay 12 bucks for a hot dog, it doesn't matter how much it rains, snows, sleets, uh, whatever, I'm, I'm like I'm going. I'm invested because this show, this, this experience means a lot to me. And I'm afraid that we have as many people invested in the show of church as we do in the relationship with Jesus And the first Christmas, Jesus, God wants us to make sure we don't miss the sign because of the show. There's something else I see in here in verses 8 and 9. If you look at verses 8 and 9 and you're filling out your sermon notes, I I realize in verses 8 and 9 that the thought of an encounter with God often brings fear to people. The thought of an encounter with God often brings fear. I mean, from the very beginning of creation to the very end, there's this thought when God comes down, It can be a scary thing. Look at verses 8 and 9. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were, what's the word there? They were terrified. They were scared out of their mind. Now, it doesn't say an angel showed up and they were mesmerized. An angel showed up and they were in awe. An angel showed up and they worshipped. It said an angel showed up and they were terrified. It scared them to death. That they were getting ready to experience this supernatural encounter. And what I find is when we begin to focus on the sign of Jesus, we have to fight through the fear of not only having an encounter with God, but helping someone else have an encounter with God. Let me tell you what I mean by this. Every one of us has someone in our life, we have someone in our family, we have someone in our neighborhood. We have someone that we work with that we know is far from God, and we know a relationship between them and God would change everything. And, and maybe we've prayed for them, and maybe we've thought about talking to them about Jesus, and maybe we thought about buying them a Bible for Christmas, and maybe we've thought about talking to them about church, and the number one reason we don't do any of those things that we really care about, you know why? It's because we're afraid. We're, we're afraid of what they'll say. We're afraid of what they'll do. We're afraid we'll bring that awkward religious thing into, into our relationship. You know, we used to just be friends, and now they said yes or no to our church, and they've, you know, said yes or no to our God. We're, we're afraid of what will happen. And what's crazy is when, when you look at the first act of humanity, when you look at the first emotion of humanity after they were separated from God, in the Garden of Eden, God created Adam and Eve. They used to hang out together. And then separation came by sin. And the very first emotion felt after separation from God by sin, when God came to find Adam and Eve, he said, where are you? And they said, we're hiding because we're afraid. We're afraid. We're not sure how to do this God thing right now. If you were to look at why more people in our city, why more people in our families, why more people in our lives, if if you're to look at why more of them aren't being reached for Jesus, it's because of our fear of talking to them and their fear of, Of what that will mean if they say yes. What what does a relationship with God look like? What does a Christian look like? What does it mean to love Jesus and follow Jesus? There's just a lot of fear of the unknown. And when I look at verses 8 and 9, I see that God showed up. And this thought of an encounter with God brought fear. However, the truth of an encounter with Jesus would bring peace to them. So this thought of this big encounter with God was scary to them. But this thought of An encounter with a little baby named Jesus brought peace to them. And if if we can just figure out how to focus on the sign instead of the show, if we can figure out how to focus on Jesus instead of the church and global Christianity, maybe more people would experience the peace of God. You know, as you look through scripture, you you remember maybe growing up in the 90s. If you grew up in the 90s, um, there was a band named Tesla that redid a song from the 60s um, called Signs, Signs, Signs Everywhere, Signs blocking up the scenery, breaking my... Maybe you remember that, that song. In the Bible, there's signs, signs. There's everywhere signs. All over Scripture, there are people who have encounters with God where when God says, here's what I'm going to show up and do, they say, prove it. Help me understand. Help me understand how I can trust this. And God gives them a sign. With Noah, it was the rainbow. You can imagine how timid Noah and his family were finally getting off that boat after the, the earth had been flooded for nearly a year. And God says, I'm not going to do this again. You can imagine at the first crack of thunder, them grabbing every animal they could and racing back to the ark. And God said, no, 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 you don't have to do that. And he said, well, how do we know? And he said, I'm going to put my rainbow in the clouds. And every time you look at the rainbow, you can remember, I'm never going to flood the entire earth again. It will be my sign. It will be my sign that you can trust me. With Abraham, and this is kind of an awkward one, it's not preached on much, but God gave Abraham the sign of circumcision that would set him apart. And the the thought was, Abraham, from now on, when men in your generation pass the seed that's going to lead to another ancestor, I'm I'm basically, I'm going to consecrate the first part of that birth action so that the generation spiritually that comes from you is different. They're marked. With Moses, the sign was the staff. God came to Moses, and he said, hey, I'm, I'm going to use you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses said, what if, what if he doesn't listen to me? So, what's in your hand? He said, that's a staff. Throw it down. I threw it down and it became a snake. And, he said, and Moses said, that's crazy. He said, grab it by its tail, grab it by its tail, and it became a staff again. I'm, at that point, I'm thinking, Moses is thinking, that's cool. You know, probably, it doesn't say it, but he probably threw it down a couple times. I mean, I'd have played that trick one or two more times. I'd have shown everyone that I knew. Um, but God said, listen, you can trust me. He gave him a sign that he would be with him. With Egypt... God proved himself by ten plagues. He sent ten plagues that would be a sign that the God of the Israelites was more powerful than the gods of Egypt. With Gideon, one of the great judges in the book of Judges, it was his fleece. God told Gideon, I want you to go and fight against the nation of Midian. And Gideon said, well, how how do I know that I'm going to win? God said, just trust me. And Midian said, well, I'm scared. He said, "Here, God, I've got this like cow. He said, I'm going to leave it outside in the yard overnight. And if when I wake up, the towel's wet, but everything around it's dry, I'll know that you're going to be with me. And God says, all right, we'll do that. He goes out, picks up the towel. It's wet. All the grass is dry. And God says, see, I told you, ready to go. And he's like, no, I I think I actually messed up that that thing because I think cotton holds water longer than grass. Here, let let me try again. Tonight, I'm going to leave the towel outside again. And when, when I come outside tomorrow, I want all the grass to be wet, but the towel to be dry. That would be impossible. But if you could do that, that could be a sign to me. And God said, okay, we'll do that. And that happened. And then later, God would give Gideon a dream that would help him understand what was going to happen. You see, I feel like when, when we look at God and say, God, prove yourself. I never see one time in Scripture where God gets angry. As a matter of fact, I see God wanting and willing to prove himself to us in our lives through experiences and things that we can, that we can hold on to. And as a matter of fact, most of the people I know that walk most closely with Jesus, it's because of experiences they've had in their life where God has shown up. And they just know God showed up. Let me ask you this question. What experience do you have stamped on your faith card? I mean, if I were to ask you why you believe, not, not why you believe what you've heard, not why you believe what your mom and dad believe, not why you believe what you've learned in Sunday school, but if I were to ask you where has God shown up in your life and proved himself to you, what would be on your faith card of you saying, listen, this, this was a time in my life where God was real. This is why I place my faith in God. Not because of something somebody's taught me, but because of a personal experience I have had. Maybe you have a passport book. What's stamped in your spiritual passport book of experiences that you've had with God that no one can take away from you and someone may be able to argue intellectually you under the table, but they cannot rob an experience you had with God? yours. It's forever and it is stamped on your faith card and it's why you believe so deeply You see my fear is sometimes we get all wrapped up in the show and we miss the sign what's going to be on your faith card next year You know, there's several things that have happened this year in our church that will forever to me Be linked to my relationship with god and when I worry in the future Every time I worry about what god's going to do in the future I now can look at my past and say well. He always came through my, my faith card, my faith passport book tells me that, that my God is real. And I would challenge every one of you in 2014, set a fleece out there. Throw your staff down. Do something to say, God, in this year, show up. Show up in such a way in 2014, God, that for the rest of my life, I can say, back in 2014, God did this. Throw a big prayer request out there. Throw a big need out there. Throw a big commitment out there. And just watch and see if God shows up. Because if he does, if he gives you your sign... You'll hold on to it forever. In 1993, the Swedish band Ace of Base sang a song and they said, I saw the sign and it opened up my eyes. Listen, these shepherds saw the sign and it opened up their eyes that Jesus truly had come. You know, this week I was having a conversation with a friend of mine in our church and we were talking about a mutual relationship we have with someone that they're trying to get to come to church on Christmas Eve with them. And I asked him this question. I said, do you, like, do you think that this person um, is a Christian? Do you think they're, that they have a relationship with Jesus? Because we're trying to figure out how to minister to this person. And she said, you know, I, I don't know. She said, I know they've been through the church stuff. I know they've said the prayer, raise their hand. I know that like they've actually been baptized. But it doesn't appear that they actually have a relationship with Jesus. What she was saying is they've done the show. I don't know if they've really grabbed hold of the sign of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus ended the Sermon on the Mount with these words in the final portion of his message. He said, not everyone, and he's talking about the end times now, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I'm going to tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Yeah, you've been hanging around the show, but you and I don't know each other. We've never personally interacted. You know, we had a a group of 16 that went to Israel on a mission trip the first week of November. And if you've ever flown into or out of Israel or really anywhere in the Middle East, um, it's uncomfortable for an American traveling through checkpoints in the Middle East. That's that's just the nicest way to say it. We actually got into Israel pretty easy this time. But as we were waiting at the airport to to go back, they kinda sequestered our group together. We dropped our group off and then took the rental vans that we had back and then came back. And like for an hour they just made them all wait together and wouldn't let any of them check in for their flights. And they kinda they kinda do this because their security is airtight. Like they will open your luggage and take every piece out of it one at a time and say, what's this? What? Like, that's underwear. That's a sock. You know, it's like there's nothing dangerous in there um, just just to just to show you that they can. So they had our group together, and I show up back at the airport, and our group's pretty frustrated, and they're like, what's going on? It's been an hour. We haven't moved. And the guy comes back, and they said, um, are you with them? I said, yeah, I am. So, are you the group leader? And I said, yes, I And I said, you need to step out of line. So they pull me out of line. And they take me like 25 feet away from my group. So it's me and these two Israeli-like security people. Um, they're like, what's your name? So and they're looking through my passport the whole time. Uh, here's my name. And you've been to this place? you know. So they asked me about every place in my passport I've been. Yeah, I've been to all these places. And this is your group? Yeah. Um, who are the people in your group? Well, those people. What are their names? They made me name them all, one by one. How long have you known each of them? So I had to tell how long that I knew each of them. Um, and what are you doing here? Well, we're, to serve, you know, we're serving with churches and um, seeing the sites. How long you been here? So I told them how long it been. So where did you stay? So we actually stayed and four different cities, because we've been traveling around. What are the names of the hotels? What are the names of the managers at the hotels that you dealt with? Um, what, where did you serve? So we served two or three churches. What are the names of the churches? I had to give them the names of the churches. Who were the pastors there at those churches? I had to tell them the name of the pastors. What sites did you see while you were in Israel? told them the sites. What days did you go to each place? So I'm like, this is all just off the top of my head. I'm thinking, you know, don't get this wrong. I'm going to be in jail in Israel for the rest of my life. Like, I'm just trying to, like, line all this stuff out. It's like, my Gosh, I mean, they put me through the ringer. So, and after I got done, they were like, okay, they, you know, they obviously, I hate to say they bought it because it was true. They believed it. Um, and they let us through. And we're sitting at the table and everybody's like, what was that all about? And I told them everything that was asking me. And everyone on our trip said, man, I'm glad they didn't choose me. Like, I didn't know any of that. And you know what? It wasn't their job to know that. But I, I, I thought about that experience in Matthew chapter seven. And I thought, how many people are on a spiritual tour of life. But they have never dug into the details of their spiritual journey for themselves. And they literally, other than the name Jesus, they've never met him. They don't know what the steps of their spirit, like their spiritual journey consists of a tour guide, a pastor getting up on Sunday and saying, here's what we're going to study today. And they're like, that's awesome. And then at the end of the time, Jesus is going to say, what did you learn about me? And they're like, well, I, ask Christian. Like, no, 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 no. What did you learn about me? What did you experience with me? I'm I'm not interested in how many times you went to the show. I'm interested in how often you interacted with Jesus. And what we're hearing here in Luke chapter 2 is the angels are saying, here's the sign. It's Jesus. The life-changing part of Christmas is Jesus. Don't miss the sign because the show is so great. On December 29th, you know, the whole focus of our church, we say it all the time, is to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. We have a next step tent because we say every week we want people to take their next step spiritually. That's different for everyone. For some of you, it's just to come back to church a second time. For some of you, it's to finally start serving. For some of you, your service time to go on a mission. Everyone has a different next step. What is your next step spiritually? On December 29th, next Sunday, I'm going to preach probably the most important message of the year. Because I'm going to lay out spiritual resolutions, spiritual goals for 2014. Ten of them that you can take and talk through with your husband, your wife, your kids. And say, what can we do to take our next step spiritually next year? And every time I preach this message last Sunday, I'll have someone say, you need to preach that next Sunday again because so many people were out of town. I'm not going to preach it twice, so if you miss it, watch it online. But if you want to take your next step spiritually, plug in to some spiritual goal setting And in that spiritual goal setting, don't commit more to the show, commit more to the sign. What can you and Jesus do together to to stamp your faith card in this next year? And then secondly, this is kind of an afterthought. Once you really invest in the sign, you need to spread the word about the baby. In Luke chapter 2, 17, what happens right after they meet this kid, right after they see the sign and they open up their eyes? It says when they had seen him, they spread the word. When they had seen him, they spread the word. Now, we've got a couple in our church who had a baby about six, eight weeks ago. And there's probably, I don't know, maybe a thousand pictures of this six-week-old baby on (laughs) Facebook. Uh, I mean, it's like a a -a many-time-a-day occurrence. I feel like maybe every hour of her life I've glimpsed a little bit in the six weeks she's been alive. Why? Because they're excited about their new little girl. I mean, if I'd have had Facebook when my 12- and 10-year-old were born, I mean, it would have been a daily occurrence because we're excited about the baby. And I feel like we get on social media, and I feel like we talk about the show more than we talk about the baby. I mean, I've seen, you know how many posts I've seen about the elf on the shelf, right? Like, my elf has gotten a little lazy the past few days. He hasn't moved. I put him in bed with an American Girl doll a few days ago, and he's been there. I should probably move him at this point in time. Danielle said, that might send the wrong message. Um, I didn't intend to do that. I just thought it would be funny. Um, But from the Elf on the Shelf to Christmas cookies to Christmas lights to Christmas family dinners, right? I mean, there's so much about the show of Christmas. I don't see a lot about Jesus. And I look at what happened with the shepherds. They... They saw Jesus and they spread the, they spread the word. In John 1.1, 1, 1, John introduces Jesus to us by the title, the, the word. He says, the, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he says, the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. And he, he calls Jesus the words. Basically, if you put Luke 17 and John 1.1 1, 1 together, what, what these authors are saying is see the word, spread the word. See the word, spread the word. When you see Jesus, he's meant to be talked about after it happens. And when I think about our church and I think about people in our life and I think about your friends and my friends and I think about the fear that exists and I think about opportunities that we have to reach people, you know, we're having a Christmas Eve service on Tuesday, not as much for us as for people in our lives who wouldn't come to church any other time except Christmas Eve. And they'll try it on Christmas Eve because it seems like the right thing to do. Like Christmas and Easter, you're supposed to go to church. We're doing that so people will see who Jesus is. Next year, some of you will, will never be able to come to a Christmas Eve service because you do family stuff on Christmas Eve. And you, you've already started your Christmas experience. But in January, we're starting a ten-week series on the Sermon on the Mount. If you look on the back of your bulletin next year, we're calling 2014 the Year of Jesus. Everything we preach and teach from this stage will be about the life and the ministry and the teaching and the spiritual history of Jesus. And we'll begin with his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And if you might be able to see that banner back there, we'll spend four weeks on what we're calling the New You Resolution, Matthew chapter five, the Beatitudes. We'll spend three weeks in Matthew chapter 6 winning over worry and stress, what God tells us to be less stressed out about life. And then we'll spend three weeks in Matthew chapter 7 in a series that we're calling Losing My Religion where Jesus says, just doing the show is not enough. It's got to be about a relationship with me. It'll be a life-transforming series. If you have seen the baby, your next step is to spread the word about that baby. And whether it's inviting someone to Christmas Eve, whether it's inviting someone in January, listen, whether it's on Christmas Day getting on Facebook or Twitter and just saying, Happy Birthday, Jesus. What if a large enough group of people took Christmas Day and made it about the sign and not the show? Maybe more people would have their eyes opened to who Jesus is, to how we feel about Jesus, the experiences that we've had with Jesus, and maybe just maybe more people like these shepherds would get an opportunity to see him And have their lives and their futures and their eternities transformed by him. It's going to be an unbelievable Christmas week. I love Christmas. But let's make sure this week is as much about Jesus as it is about Christmas. So that we can keep the reason for Christmas right in the center of our focus this week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we thank you for the reminder in Luke chapter 2 that we need to make sure this week in our life... We don't miss the sign because of the show. We need to make sure this week in our life that, Lord, we don't get so much involved in the glitz and the glamour and the Americanized Christmas, which is awesome. But we don't get so over the top with that that we miss the sign, that we miss Jesus. And God, I pray for the men and the women and the teenagers and the kids who are in this church right now and those who are going to watch online later because they couldn't get here today because of the snow. And God, I pray that we would not come to the end of our lives and say, well, we took the tour, but we really, like, we can't remember anything. We weren't involved in the details. God, may you help us to get intimately involved in the details of our relationship with you. God, may it not be enough for us to exist with a spiritual tour guide that says, open your Bible, turn here, do this, come back and repeat. But we say, no, I want to, I want to, I want to investigate that a little more for me. I want to be able to lead my own tour. I want to be able to know Jesus well. God, I pray for the men and women in our church who are here today. I pray for the needs in their lives. I pray for the hopes in their lives. I pray for the comfort that they need. And God, I just pray that your spirit would fall on people this morning. That it would enter their hearts. That it would enter their minds. That it would leave them encouraged and focused and challenged. And God, that they would live this week, not just in the hustle and bustle of Christmas, but in the the spirit of wanting to know you more as they head into the new year. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. And I just believe as we head into this busy Christmas week, there's some things you've been worrying about that you just need to tell Jesus. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And I'm just going to allow you in just a moment to just pray in your seat. Say, Christian, what do you want me to pray? I want you to pray your worry. We're going to learn this in a few weeks. Say, what does it mean to pray my worry? Here's what it means. It means that person you've been worried about interacting with this Christmas week, you should just tell God about it. It means the anxiety that you've had over cleaning your house and going to the grocery store and getting everything cooked and getting the presents wrapped, all that anxiety that's driving you crazy and making you kind of dread what you're facing, it means you just need to give that to God. It means that relationship that you're going to interact with this week and within, with uncles or aunts or parents or grandparents or kids or old friends or maybe heading back to an old hometown where you've had some bad experiences. Those things that you've been unnerved about, it means you just need to tell God about them. It means those people you've been thinking about inviting to come on Christmas or to come see your church or somebody you've been wanting to influence for Jesus. It just means that you ask Jesus how to do that. You see, one of the greatest ways to deal with worry is to tell God about it. And I want to give you a chance with head bows and eyes closed, not even out loud, but just in your spirit, would you give God your worry right now? It's a great week, but a hard week. Some of you are going to be traveling. You need to pray. God will keep you safe. Some of you have bought airline tickets on credit cards to go see friends or family. You don't know how you're going to pay them off. You're worried about that. Would you just tell God about that? Some of you have a whole host of people that are already piled on top of you, and you're wondering how you're even going to sleep. Would you just tell God about that? Some of you are feeling guilty because you're not going to be able to provide your family with the type of Christmas you've had in the past. Would you just tell God about that? Would you just speak your worry to Him and say, "Lord, here's the things I'm worried about. Would You help me?" Because He loved to do that this morning on a snowy December 22. God would love to take your burdens if you tell Him. So, God, thank you for. 60 minutes in church this morning Sing some Christmas carols To worship a little bit To be challenged by your word To be reminded To focus on the sign and not the show And God all these things That have been lifted to you We thank you that you hear That you care That you're going to do something about it And God I pray that as Our week goes on Worry would immediately become prayer Prayer and that you just one at a time just keep taking burdens away from us. Keep us safe as we travel. Help us to figure out how to financially do what we're doing. Help us to have joy in what we were able to provide, not worry over what we were not able to provide. Help us to have peace and tumultuous relationships we're going to interact in this week. Bless us to get some rest. Help our bosses not to call when we're trying to have time with our family. Just everything that's supposed to go right, let it go right. Everything that's supposed to go wrong, God, we just give it to you. We pray that our focus won't be on it. So that we might be blessed living with you in the center of our focus this week. We love you. Jesus, we ask these things today in your son's name. And everyone says together this morning, amen.